What happens when a volunteer firefighter and a fire chaplain meet up in a podcast? You're about to find out on today's episode of Hope Between the Lines. And do I like that intro music? Hopefully you've been enjoying that too. Do you believe that this is episode 20? Hope Between the Lines is now 20 episodes old and I cannot wait for the next 20, which is going to be waiting for you at next season's beginning. Today's episode of Hope Between the Lines is a special one because when I had a kind of a dream, a thought, a goal to launched this podcast back in December. I didn't know it would it would go this well. I had huge hopes, <laughs> pun intended, but I just didn't realize how good it was going to go. And every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who is a listener. And one of the listeners that I alluded to last episode, his name is Roy. And Roy is one of the most fascinating individuals I think I've ever met. Picture this this individual in your mind. He's got maybe 2% body fat on an Adonis frame. The guy is chiseled, and that is putting it mildly. He is also a personal trainer who knows his stuff. He's also a volunteer firefighter. And on top of that, he's an incredible father, happily married dude, and he's just living the best life that he possibly can through his faith in Jesus Christ. But the thing that I remember the most about Roy that sticks out in my mind is the day that I was speaking at his church several years ago. And I like to start off some of my sermons with a kind of a joke. And I regularly tell the audience, running is dumb, D-U-M-B. It is capital D, dumb. Now, sometimes I'll get an amen. But what happened the day that I was at the church that Roy attends, which is Christian Life Fellowship Church in Mayville, Wisconsin. Little quick shout out to the, all of the amazing people who are part of that fellowship there. As I said, running is dumb. Roy, within a millisecond of the final insult that I, I levied against running, echoed off the walls of the sanctuary. He shouts from the front row, heresy. The dude called me a heretic in the middle of a church service. And I think that's amazingly funny. And I'm smiling as I'm talking about it because for me, it is one of the most amazing moments uh, that I can recall after, oh, I don't know, 18 years of preaching the Word of God all over. I've never had anyone blatantly call me out on anything I've ever said. Now, in this case, it was all in jest and uh, incredibly well-intentioned, and I absolutely love it. So, Roy, thank you for making my life better. I still do know that running is dumb, but let's agree to disagree. Now, turning our attention to today's episode of Hope Between the Lines, which is episode 20, which is the last episode of this season, I am excited for you to join this amazing conversation that I got to have 
with Dan Guerrero. He is a fire chaplain for the San Diego Fire Rescue. He's also a canine handler for their crisis response team. He's also a pastor. This guy has one of the most powerful stories I think you're going to hear maybe this year. You're going to have to just listen in, lean in, get your volume level set correctly, grab your snack if that's how you roll, because we're about to drop into today's conversation on Hope Between the Lines. Dan Guerrero, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Hope Between the Lines. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, and I'm always amazed at how people connect because right now you're in California and I am in Wisconsin, and yeah. the way that we connected Hooray was- for me, by the way. Um, the way that we connected was through a a third party that we're both connected to and that individual helped you and i connect and what's super cool is like the shared affinity that you and i both have for the the firefighting world and i just i just love how connections are made but before we dive in to all of the awesomeness that awaits every listener on today's conversation. I got to know, Dan, when it's snack time in your house, do you reach for Twizzlers or do you reach for Red Vines? Oh, most definitely Twizzlers. Not even, it's not even a decision. <laughs> not, not at all. And, and as I, you know, my wife behind me right here on her desk is a bucket full of Red Vines that I absolutely love to touch. Yeah, I... <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, they're just plastic <laughs> straws. I mean, they're hollowed out. Yeah, they're tasteless and and have a horrible kind of content. Yeah, but here's the crazy thing. As much as I love Twizzlers, I have friends that hate them. Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? And I just pray for them every morning. I just pray <laughs> that the Lord. <laughs> well, I'll join you. In that. Yeah. <laughs> you can send me their name and put them on a prayer list. Yeah. That's, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, one thing that really inspired me about you that came to light right away was your passion for uh, service and your, your commitment to serving individuals and helping people who are maybe having some of the the worst days of their lives and your dedication to serving alongside of people in the first responder community. And if you wouldn't mind just maybe taking a moment and bring the listener up to speed on, you know, who is Dan and what is Dan passionate about and what does he do? Um, Dan is currently a chaplain with San Diego fire rescue department. And, um, I'm also a, a pastor, went through, um, seminary about five years back. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll probably touch on that a little bit later. Um, 
but but you know it it is it is a complete turnaround from who Dan used to be to who Dan is now, mm. and um, it, it, and it is it is about the, the reward that the, God has placed me in this position that that I, I never would have ever thought of ever. I mean, it, it just wasn't part of of who Dan was going to be. Um, and it is the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. It is, it is beyond anything that I could have imagined. And I praise God five, six, seven, 10, 15, 26 times a day mm-hmm. for the ability to serve in the capacity that I serve. Wow. Wow. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to hear your story about being a pastor. And I also want to hear more about your work with San Diego Fire Rescue. So let's, uh, let's start with uh, our shared affinities uh, for the fire rescue service. Like, what's that like? What do you what do you get to do in that world? Well, um, it's, it's pretty all encompassing on providing both emotional and spiritual support to firefighters and their families. That is my primary my, my primary ask is that I take care of them. If I go to an incident and there's a victim who is a non-firefighter, um, certainly I will, I will do my best to provide comfort. But my, my job, my role is to make sure that I provide comfort to the firefighter and the firefighter's family. Um, mostly what I do, Dan, is that after a really bad call, and, and I define a really bad call, it's different for everybody, but mostly my experience has been that then when there's a death, um, and, mo- and typically at the death of a child, mm. which is very, very traumatic and hard on, on most of these firefighters who more than half of them have kids as well. Um, so what will happen is, is after the incident's cleared, I will go into the fire station. I will gather all of the crews that were involved. So if there was, you know, medics and, and ambulance and four, five, six different um, engine and truck companies. Uh, I will sit them down. There is no rank in this, what we call a diffusing. So when I, when I refer to a diffusing, it is, it is that what I do is now I will sit the entire crew down who just came off of this incident. We do not allow rank. So if a battalion chief tried to come in, I would ask them to please leave. Um, to respect the fact that these firefighters are now going to talk about what they did, what they saw, and and so they're less likely to be honest and, and tap into their feelings if there's rank inside that inside that room. So and it works out well. That I've never had a battalion chief say, uh, "No, I'm not going to leave." Um, so what'll happen is, is that we'll talk about why we do it. And, and it's been proven that PTSD has been, we can ward that off later down in their career if we can talk about the incident immediately. So, so we, we all sit in a circle and I start with one and, you know, though it is voluntary, I, voluntary, I absolutely strongly recommend and I will not pass by anybody that they talk about what they just did, what they just saw. And, and, and what happens normally is that the feelings start to surface. Um, they get really honest when it involves a child. There's, there's, there's often tears, which is, 
which is so different today than than some of the older firefighters who would never participate in something like this. It's so cool to see this culture shift. Um, and, and so as we talk about this incident and, and process through it immediately, probably the biggest thing, biggest takeaway for these firefighters um, is that they did everything right. Um, mm. That that they couldn't, that, that, that the things that they did were the things that they were trained to do 100%. And I would tell you 99 out of 100 times that is the case. Um, in the case where they may have missed something, it's usually a nitpicking kind of thing that is easily corrected, but really didn't have anything to do with, with how the outcome of, the, of this incident was. So um, so they have the opportunity to, to just go around the room and, and talk about that. And I'm also, um, there's a San Diego Fire Rescue has a, a program with the crisis response canine. So I am one of three handlers that I have a canine that I actually bring with me uh, to these incidents. And I even bring them on scene, depending on, on what the what the call is. I'll go to a two alarm or three alarm with the dog and, and I'll be present at those. But typically I'm not present at any of the incidents. Um, so I don't, I don't get, I don't have to see the horrific stuff that we're talking about, which I praise God for. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, you know, and, and you talk to any battalion chief who's been on the job long enough, they don't go into, and they stand back to the incident command, and they have no interest in seeing the horrificness of, of some of these incidents. So um, I, I'm, I'm blessed the fact that I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to view that. And so it, it even makes it easier for me to be able to process through with the crew um, when I'm just hearing about the details of it, and I haven't, I haven't seen it. So wow. you know that I've I've done I've done memorial service for firefighters that have fallen. I have done weddings. I have done marriage counseling. Um, it's been a it's a, been a crazy rewarding, and it's and it's for what it's worth. It's all volunteer. I, you know, like I'm on call 24 seven, and, and I do not get paid um, except for the reward that God gives me. Um, in, in, the, in the ability to be able to serve this crew. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for doing what you do. Um, I just, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I am a volunteer firefighter. And so we don't see the volume of humanity and sometimes the difficulty and the tragedy that a full time department like yours experiences but we do experience the humanity and the tragedy and i've i've personally have over 11 years of volunteer fire experience and in fact just uh, qualified to become a lieutenant on our fire department oh very cool cool. congratulations thank you i've always wanted to be called lieutenant dan you know what i mean there you go uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm chaplain Dan, you're lieutenant Dan. Yeah, you know. that's right. Well, and I get to keep my legs and anyone who's seen Forrest Gump will appreciate that. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can I can vividly remember each of the three fatality calls that I responded to. Yeah. I vividly and I'll I'll never be able to unremember that. And I just And think, you're not and you're not supposed to. Right. Yeah, that's I mean, a and, good you know, point. 
Can yeah, you dive? I mean, it, it is it is something that that nobody will ever forget. And, and you can take your three incidents that you've been involved in personally. It it isn't it isn't something that you can ever forget, and it's something that you don't want to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I use the analogy that that you know the stuff that that bothers us like an incident like this is that, that it belongs somewhere and right now as you're, as you're kind of going through all the emotion and stuff, it's floating out there and it's your job. And if I can help in any way, I will do that, but it's your job to put that in a place that when you recall it, it doesn't give you that anxiety, all of that stuff. It just says, yeah, that sucked. Um, and, and, and I, and, and if I never see it again, I'm okay. But, but then you move on and, and you're okay. You, you put it in a place, a healthy place. Um, but yeah, to, to try and forget about it, I, I believe that's a huge mistake. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by, number one, how quickly you, you jumped in with that thought. Because <laughs> I, I'm agreeing with you 100%. I, um, like, what does your chaplain training and your, your support training, like, what does that tell you about the state of mental and emotional health when someone tries to forget or tries to scrub the memory what are the negative effects of when someone tries to do that well i mean ptsd will manifest itself in many different ways you know anger alcohol drug abuse sexual abuse pornography uh horrible marriages and relationships i mean it 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 manifests it's clear i mean if, if you take time to just kind of Stop and look at your behavior, which sometimes it's really hard to do. You, you, somebody else needs to point it out at times. But, mm. but all of those behaviors are, are because you, you haven't dealt with it. You tried to forget about it. Um, and and, and it's, it's, you can try and try and try and try. And you'll never, ever forget. You just, you just won't. And, and so, so once you accept that, then, then you know, because your next call could be as bad or worse. Um, and, and it's so important that you've already dealt with this. Um, you know, San Diego fire rescue, we could have back to back calls. Um, and it could be just a horrible, horrible shift. I mean, just a, a shift that you never want to repeat. And thank God those are few and far between, but, but because of the size of San Diego fire, it, you know, that, that certainly, that certainly is, is a possibility, but, um, well, you know, you've got to find a way to deal with it, whether that's talking to a chaplain, talking to a pastor. Uh, Dan, I guarantee you, Dan, that you have the ability to sit with your crew and go through and process through this and help them to feel better. I, you know, the little that I know about you, um, I believe you absolutely have that ability. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. And even just the cool conversations that I get to have in the truck. Yeah, yeah, it makes um, a difference, doesn't it? it? It does. And for me, uh, firefighting, it's one of the coolest avocations, I think, for being especially from a volunteer side, because my full-time ministry is with a great organization called Youth Alive. And, you know, that's what I get to do, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week, just helping students live the best life possible. Yeah, and so then, cool. and then God, we're the, blessed, aren't we? Oh, it's unreal. I people, <laughs> ask, people ask me how I'm doing, and I'm like, I'm doing far better than I deserve. Yeah, absolutely. No because question. I'm well acquainted with the man that I shave with every morning. 
it's me yeah. just in case you were wondering yep. if you had any there you weird, go. Uh-huh. really weird mental <laughs> pictures you know i i'm my biggest problem and in spite of all of that god loves me full tilt mm-hmm. and he's given me a life that is so rich and so full i just i go to bed thankful every night and i wake up every no, morning thankful um yeah. so let's let's dive into a little bit about your journey as, as a pastor, like five years ago, you said uh, you, you started seminary or you graduated seminary. Graduated from seminary. Congratulations. Um, a, that, that's not yeah, a small step. Thank you. Um, no, no, it was for, especially at my age, you know, it, I was not a great student to begin with. And then to go into a master seminary program just about killed me at oh my. my age. And so um, I wanted to quit after my first year. But to back up a little bit, how this whole thing started is that that my wife and I, um, we joined a a small church that was meeting in a school gymnasium in Minneapolis. And um, um, we really liked the church and we connected and and God had put us in there um, in the right place. And and it was so cool. Um, They asked me to be on their leadership team, their elder board. Um, they called it the leadership team. And um, so I, I graciously accepted and and um, we ended up going to a men's retreat hosted by a church in Wyoming um, in Fort Collins, Colorado. And so we're, we're at this three-day men's retreat um, and we're discussing the needs of our particular church. And it was, it became very clear that our church needed an executive pastor, that, that it needed somebody to be able to take the vision of the lead pastor who was highly creative, but, but just didn't have the skills to, to kind of run that through the church. So that was, that, that was something that we knew that we needed to do. Um, and, you know, probably one of the funniest moments of my life was, was this, this call, um, because we're, we're going through everything that we needed. We're with the, the lead pastor of the church that's holding the, the uh, retreat. And he says, I know who your lead pastor or your executive pastor is. And we said, who? He says, it's you. What? <laughs> and, yeah, I promise you, man, I, I probably laughed for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was the most absurd, ridiculous thing that I had ever heard in my life. Yeah. And, um, and, and so this is like day one into this retreat. By day three, I couldn't shake it. Hmm. Day three, I'm still like, wow, um, how is that possible? Is, is, is God, is this what you want me to do? And so to make a long story short, it, it was, yeah, it, it's what I want you to do. Um, at the time, I was working with my wife in the mortgage business, and I was the business development manager. So we were building a mortgage practice across the, the state, and it was really successful. Um, and so I come home from this retreat, and I say, hey, guess what? I'm a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so, it, it, you know, so she looks at me like, you're on your mind. And, and then the lead pastor and his wife come over with the kids. And, they start going through this whole thing and, and she's just like shaking her head. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of it. Dan. I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of it. And so to 
they start calling me pastor and it's like, uh, whoa, I, I can't wake up one morning and just be a pastor, be Dan and then I'm a pastor. Um, I just felt like, God, they're, they're, it, it's, it's such a high call mm-hmm. that, that I, I just don't feel like I've earned it. So they sent me to seminary. They said, you want to go to seminary? I said, yeah, I think if you're going to call me a pastor, then yeah, I need to go to seminary. And so I started a, a three-year program um, traveling from Minneapolis to Portland, Oregon, um, every eight weeks for a week um, for the la- for the for the following three years, and um, and uh, I, I graduated with a uh, master's certificate. I, I couldn't get a master's degree because I didn't have an undergraduate, so I had mm-hmm. a master's certificate in, in ministry. But I, I, I always knew that I was not called to lead a church um, as a lead pastor. So uh, I, I, I just kind of moved into this role of executive pastor, and it was it was incredible. Wow! And so from there, I, I uh, another another amazing story, and is that that my wife and I then moved from Minneapolis to a small town fifty miles south of Minneapolis, and um, there was a Good Samaritan nursing home that was closing up and so this is a i don't even know how big it is i think it's a thirty thousand square foot building um with 40 rooms and everything else and, and so at any rate my wife we, we we start to make our move to waterville minnesota and my wife in the meantime has opened up a a, a mortgage office there as well and she hears in a, in a meeting that that they're giving this, they're donating this building. And so, so I, I, I'm still working as the executive pastor up in, in commuting um, back and forth to 50 miles, um, two three days a week. And, and you know it wasn't it was easy driving. It was fine. I, I loved what I did, so I was, it was well worth the commute. Um, so we decided that as a church that, oh, hey, let's let's at least put in our application. So we went through the whole application process. And as it turns out, there was a local church that wanted the building as well. So I got the phone call saying, hey, we've decided to award it to to this church in, in Waterville. And I absolutely understood that. It made sense to me. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's in their backyard and people know them and everything else. They don't know who we are. Um, and then all of a sudden, the pastor of that church says that he's going to bring it to a congregational vote um, because of the debt that they were about to incur to rebuild the building. And so they turned it down. The, 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 um, the congregation said, no, we, we don't want to, we don't want to do that. Mm. And so they called me back and said, Hey, if you still are interested, the building is yours. And, and so from there, um, we opened that up to, um, an emergency shelter to an emergency or not an emergency food shelf, but a food shelf that, that every week um, Walmart would donate up to 2000 pounds of food. Wow. Um, I had, I had uh, grocery store chains that were giving me fresh produce and all, you know, Trader Joe's and all this other stuff. And it, it just turned out to be this amazing community building. And, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that we were just feeding the community. We were building relationships because the model was that that you could come in on a Sunday afternoon, 
you would you would wait in our large uh, reception area where we served a meal, mm-hmm. a hot meal, um, desserts, the works, and the community got to bond. As they go through, as they wait for their number to be called, they go through the line and they got to choose what it is that they wanted. So there was very little waste. So it wasn't like you put it all in a bag or a box and said, here, it was you were able to go through the line. We had volunteers that have never volunteered before. And it was the most rewarding, probably the most rewarding thing that I've ever done, even including my chaplaincy today. It was, it was such an, a phenomenal thing. But you know, we, we ran that for a couple of years. And now today, it is actually the, the denomination that our church belongs to um, turned it into a school of ministry. So oh, where I went cool. to Portland, I now would have gone to my backyard. That's um, awesome. So it, it's so cool. It's just, it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, then, then my wife and I decide that we're going to move to San Diego. Um, and God absolutely released me from, I mean, he just released me. He just like, I've got, he, he brought people from the city who said, you know, we came to an event here once we feel called to get involved. And I, <laughs> and I said, great. How involved do you want to be? Because you are now going to run this place on loop. Yeah. And they choked, <laughs> you know, they, they, they just choked. Um, they thought about it, prayed on it. Um, I said, it, it really didn't matter what you were hearing from God that <laughs> I was leaving this York. <laughs> so get right with that, whatever that is. <laughs> and so then we started our, our deal down in San Diego about two years. Wow. We've been here, I think, two years. A little, a little bit less than Now, was that a hard transition from Minnesota out to the West Coast? Well, I had lived in Los Angeles from the age of 17 to the age of 34. So I was very familiar with Southern California and with San Diego. I knew that I was going to go back to Southern California someday. We actually had a five-year plan. My wife and I was 18 years of making. That's how long it took for this five-year plan to play out. Yeah. Yeah. His timing, not ours. Mm. Um, But I always knew that, that, that I'd come back. So, so I, you know, the transition was, though I hadn't been living in Southern California for 20 some years. Um, it, it felt like home. I mean, it's always kind of felt like home. And, and so, yeah, I, my transition was fine. My wife um, and the boys, I, my 12-year-old boys, we have seven kids, but my 12-year-old boys were with us, twins, and uh, they struggle. Um, they miss, you know, but my wife gets to go back every month. As a matter of fact, she's there right now in the mm-hmm. office, but she gets to go back every month. Um, you know, so she gets her, her friend fix, and, you know, that's my biggest my biggest uh, issue, if you will, is that mm-hmm. I miss the people that that in that community that we got to build. And, but like I said, it, you know, we did what God wanted us to do, and, and God put it in somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's just so cool. Yeah. Well, I'm man. I'm loving just learning about your journey. I'm I'm just fascinated by uh, what happens when someone says yes, like that. Yeah fires me up. I want to give God my yes again, all over again. Yeah. And yeah. have you ever walked through a really tough stretch in life that you just found maybe unraveled you a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, I was a, a drug addict and an alcoholic. And on uh, 
March 18th, 1986, I took my last drink and, and popped my last pill. And, you know, praise God for that, because without wow. him, that could have never, ever happened. But yeah, I'm a recovering alcoholic of 35 plus years. Um, Wait, and, but, um, if let me jump in, why, why'd you say it that way? Recovering? Um, yeah. Of 35 years? or Yeah. So, no, I'm just, I'm intrigued, because I have a friend of mine who was addicted to meth, and He's also, he, he describes his journey that way. He's recovering. Yes. And um, like, why did you, why did you say it that way? I said it, I say it that way because a, that is the, a, a training, but I would, but a training aside, the, the stuff that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, non-Christian program saved millions of lives. If you ever read the book, big book, of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is it is so Bible based. It's not funny. Mm. Very much dis, it, it, it's disguised um, brilliantly. I might add that 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 Phil W knew what he was doing when he was trying to reach out to folks that that just couldn't deal with Jesus, mm. but saved their lives. It was so it, it, it's so amazing. Um, so so recovering um, and not recovered. Is, is because I know to this day, to this very second, if I were to take a drink, it, it would be all over. It, it, I wouldn't stop. Um, mm. I am not recovered. People, you know, and, and people that say that they're recovered, great. I, you know, I'm fine. Good for you. Um, and, and I don't judge that. I, I just, I know for me personally, um, there's no way that, that I could drink ever, normally, ever. It's nowhere. As much as I would love to, and I'm an ex-smoker too. So as much as I would love to to do a line of cocaine, get drunk, and 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 smoke a cigarette, uh, it's, there's no such thing as, as recreational anything for me. It, it doesn't happen. So man, well, that, that I'm still sober, and I get to talk about it, and I get to be with my family. And my oldest daughter is 31 years old, and she's never seen me drunk. None of my kids. Wow, it's just the coolest thing. Yeah. Wow. So what, what caused the, the moment? Like you said, the last time was 1986. Yeah. March, March 18th, 1986. Yeah. What precipitated that moment? What happened? Um, well, that, that moment is that I was prior to that for the, the year before that I was sharing a renting a four bedroom house with a couple of buddies. Um, and and to make a long story short, they ended up having to leave because of how bad I, my addiction was. Um, wow. I was not violent, um, but I was a mess, and I couldn't stop. Um, and, and that's a that's a whole different story, Dan, about about the amount of chemicals that I put in my body at the end. Um, that only God saved me for some reason. I, I guess for this, for um, this, for Come what on. I do today. That's right. Um, yeah. Um, and, and so, um, so it, it just, I, I'd been fired from my job. Actually, I'd been fired from every job that I ever had when I was in that stretch between 19 and 27, um, due to alcohol and drugs. Um, and, and I was, so I had no home. I had no money. All my roommates took off. So I'm in this big four bedroom house in Los Angeles and I have no means of anything. I have a car that I wrecked. Um, it still ran, but it was, it was on last leg. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
I was done. I was, I was like, I'm going to die or I'm, I'm going to get help. And the phone rings, you know, you've heard these stories before that they're, they're real. <laughs> yeah. I wish it happened to everybody, you know, so I'm so grateful that, that it did happen to me. Yeah. The phone rings at that moment. And it's my mother saying that there's a hospital in Burbank that has a charity bed um, on a 28 day program. And they'll let you have it. Like, sure. I have nothing to do. Why not? You know, my life is done. And so why not? And um, so 21 days into that 28 day program, uh, I surrendered to what I didn't know at the time, interestingly enough, Dan, was, was Jesus. I, it, I surrendered to God. Um, I still did not have a relationship with Jesus until probably 13 years later. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm staying sober. I'm believing in God, but I'm struggling with Satan and I'm struggling with Jesus and all that other stuff. And so, but, but clearly on the 21st day, my, my hospital mates, if you will, um, they, I was such an arrogant jerk. That's a, that's a kind word, jerk. Um, that they finally had had enough of me, and in a in a group, they completely blasted me. I mean, one after the other, after the other, after the other, and I was astonished. I was I was absolutely shocked. It was like it was like wow. And then I, I just I kind of lost it, and I hit my knees, and I said, God, I can't do this. And bang, um, there was this microwave I call it microwave feeling that went through my body even mm -hmm. then you know today it's clearly with all the script then I had no idea what that was but I knew it was something um something that I couldn't deny in any way shape or form I, I couldn't even pretend to say that that didn't happen um and that was the day that started the journey to where I am today um and and I, I can I can I, I can picture it. I, I I know where I was I know the day that it was, um, and I know the feeling that I had. And so I, you know, I go through my life um, not being a model citizen, but I was sober. And I was a nice guy, and I did my amends, and I, you know, I hurt a lot of people, and I did the best I could to say I was sorry. And I, and I meant it. I was, I was sincere, but I still didn't have the the spiritual components of, you know, I didn't have, didn't have Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't really want Jesus. Um, it was like I don't need him. I, you know, I'm sober and I'm happy, and I got a new job, and life is good. And I've got a girlfriend now, and you know, later we get married, and all this other stuff. And um, it wasn't until my divorce, when I was 40, that uh, a series of events that, that led me back. You know, so now I'm, I moved to Minneapolis, um, and so a series of events that. Through this divorce, and, and like I said, I, I was not a model citizen. I was not somebody that that you would say, "Hey, you know, let's let's be like him." Um, though I was still, keep in mind, I was sober and I was praying. It was just weird. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 so I I decide that that I get in contact with an ex girlfriend in Los Angeles, and I come out to see her, and we hit it off. Amazing work. And I walk out of her apartment like two or three days later and I like 
she wants me to, she said, I want you to meet my kids. And it's like, whoa, it, it just, it just hit me. It's like, wow, I, I, I can't do that. Um, and so I leave her place. I get in the car. I, I grab the steering wheel and I say, God, I, I can't help me, help me. And boom, that, that microwave feeling comes in again. And so now I'm grateful enough to have been staying with my aunt, who is Christian, teaching Bible studies to women and everything else. And she said, this is what you're experiencing. And never looked back. Wow. I wish, I Dan, I wish that people feel what I've felt. Yeah. I just do. I, you know, and I know some people do. Others' journeys take longer, and they and they start to see that their behaviors change, and they like, wow, oh, this is cool. But man, for me, it was just boom. It was it was on fire. Mm. And you know, so then I started to learn. I started to learn everything. And um, new life, you know, it, it's it's tough. With God at the center of this marriage, it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, so I'm trying. I do, I do marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally tracking with you on the thought of like just letting God be the center of your universe. Yeah. Because number one, he he already is the center of the universe. Yeah. And when we acknowledge that and humble ourselves and allow our lives to revolve around the eternal realities of who God is, things don't get easier, but things do get more abundant. And yeah, you do your you do find yourself locking into why you're you were created in the first place. Yeah, you know, it it wasn't it, it's not like you know I became a Christian and my life became all this glorious, joyful, wonderful stuff. It was the, the difference is that that I I know who's in control. I know that he loves me. I know that he forgives me, which was huge. Um, and and I let him drive. I just I just like. It's yours. Drive. Tell me what you want me to do. Wow. That's so powerful. So where where would you say that you find hope in life? Because there are, are listeners today who they've gone through similar situations as yours. Some may have different experiences. But what keeps you tethered together? Like, where's your hope? as a man, well, as a husband, as a father, as a chaplain, as a pastor, like, where do you find hope? All of the answer is always Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the answer is always Jesus. It, it, it's just, and, and it's, I don't, I don't mean to make light of it, but, but I also do. I mean, you know, I, you know, obviously anytime we get in trouble, it's like Jesus, go to Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, if, if he, if he's not controlling my life, I, um, I, I, I can't live. I can't live without it. I can't mm -hmm. live without it. Um, I could try, and and I know where that would take me. Um, I tried to be good, um, and I was, um, but. But it was still, it was there was still the hole. There was still this, there was still this missing thing, um, you know. And I, and I try to, you know, I try to talk to my kids, you know, thirty one, twenty nine, twenty eight, twenty six, 
22 and then the 12 year old. So we're a blended family. I've got the two oldest, my wife's got the three and the three again. But, um, you know, they're, they're dealing with all this stuff that these kids deal with today. It's the anxiety and it's the depression and it's, it's all this stuff. And then, and they're in this world that, you know, especially in Minneapolis with George Floyd and all this stuff that just influences them. Um, and, and they're trying to fill the hole. Um, two of them drink to excess. They, you know, we talked about it. You know, I said, hey, I get it. Um, they are functioning currently. Um, I, I pray that, that, that they get the help that they need or understand at least where to go. But I really, I push, I push them to God. I push them to Jesus. I, I just like, you know, hey, you're, you're going to make up your own. And, and I'm here for you. If, if you ever have any questions, you know, I, I'm here to answer them for you. And then my wife and I live this example. I mean, it is, it is you want to see what God and Jesus can do to a relationship and to a marriage. Look at us. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, we, we live every day, every day. Please him, and when we do that, and 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 every day I, I get up, Dan and I say, you know, God, how can I honor my wife today? How can I honor my wife? Today? Um, and it's and it's really easy. It's not hard. Um, it, you know, I know her love languages. Um, I know what makes her feel love, and I do it. Um, sometimes it's very very. I have to purposely do this, and, and but it's. It's just, it's amazing. It's, it's truly amazing. You know, I, I, again, I wish that people could experience the marriage that I have. And I know a lot of people do. I mean, I know a lot of people that have the marriages that we do, but a lot of people don't. And I work with a lot of people that don't. It's, it's sad. Mm. Yeah, when you're in a healthy, thriving marriage, it's amazing. And, you know, walking with Marlena for the past 18 years, side by side. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our journey is pretty special. Like we got engaged twice and the second one held and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and we just decided, um, like well before we got married, Hey, we're going to build our lives on the foundation of Christ. Mm -hmm. This, this relationship is going to be built on the teachings and the reality of Christ. And we've endured storms. We've endured loss and pain and heartache. And uh, we were, yeah. And God never fails. He's never failed us and he does not fail us now, nor will he ever fail us ever. And there's joy in our marriage. There's life in our house. And it's all because of Jesus. And I just, I'm so grateful for the work that the gospel accomplishes. Isn't it cool? Yeah, yeah. it's just so cool. Yeah, it's just, just like, thank you. <laughs> That's right. I didn't deserve it, but you better believe I'm going to. Nothing I'm gonna, I did, but yeah. I appreciate you being on my I'm going to take full advantage of this gift because it's amazing. Um, yeah. Hey, and, one, and life is sweet. Yeah, one final question for you. Who, yeah. are you. who are you proud of today? Oh, no question. It's my wife. Um you know, I, I could, we could talk another two or three hours about the accomplishments that this young lady, you know, she's 17 years my junior. Um, and um, 
I, I watch her and I listen to her in amazement. Um, not only does she, she coach and, and manage, I don't know, four or five mortgage offices. She coaches 50 clients um, in life and business coaching. She has a podcast. Hey, can I plug that podcast? Absolutely. Please do. Okay. It's, it's called Discovering Why. Um, and it's Discovering WISE, Women in Search of Excellence. So the majority of your audience is not going to be interested in it. But, um, but if, you know, if, if they want their spouses to listen to a, a Christian message about women in search of excellence in today's world, um, I highly recommend that, that you at least tap into it. She's, I think she's into her second season now, 50 some episodes. Um, and um, so on top of, of coaching life and business for 50 individuals, she does a podcast, she does a mortgage, she is a mother, she is an amazing wife. Um, and uh, I, there's, there's nobody that I'm more proud to be. I, I'm just proud to be her husband. She's amazing. Man. I love it. Every time, every time a husband um, just praises his, his spouse, it just makes my heart sing. It, uh, yeah, it does. It? It's just, there's, there's something about, you know, you, you hear some of the, you know, men talking about making fun of their wives and it's like, you cringe. It's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You feel that way. Well, and I just, I just, um, know how powerful words are and i want to i want to only use words that bring life yes and i want to i want to use words that build up that would be my goal i don't all the time but well you and me both like i'm just (laughs) imperfect vessels for sure yeah i'm Um, not sure that you if you ask my wife who she is 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 proud of i'm not sure i'd be on the top of her <laughs> well, funny you should say that. I've I've invited her to join us right now. I'm just kidding. I haven't. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will make sure though. I include the link to her podcast in the, the oh, show notes. Cool. Thank you. It'd be awesome for every single one of the listeners. Yeah, uh, that would be yeah. Good. Just check it out. And if you've got a, a special lady in your life, make sure you're sharing that podcast link with them. Yeah, thank you. Because it's just it's just good to get your hands and head and heart around encouraging content that's it's built on good foundations yeah. so her passion it, it, you know she doesn't make any money doing it she's just her passion wow i love that i love that well dan i yeah. i can't thank you enough for your time today i've enjoyed this conversation so much and i've been so enriched by uh your story wow. the the miraculous reality of it i was blown away uh as i heard you unpack your journey i'm inspired by the way that you you just selflessly serve the firefighters in san diego how you and your wife just said yes to jesus and continue to say yes to jesus every day so thank you thank you thank you for making this time today dan i really do appreciate it pleasure's all mine thanks dan Man, oh, Manischewitz, I gotta say how inspired I was by Dan Guerrero's story. He's just living an incredible life because he's giving his life to the best of his ability to Jesus every day that he wakes up. 
And that is awesome. And that is the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. As we come to the end of our season today on this episode, I just want to say thank you one million plus one billion. It is always an honor and always my joy to be a voice in your very busy, very fast-paced world. I know I was enriched by every conversation that was had over the course of this season, and I can't wait to meet you again in season two. We've got some incredible conversations lining up, and they are going to be amazing. I'm praying for your summer, that it is rich, full, relaxing, and rejuvenating. I'm asking you to pray for me. I'm currently writing book number two called Three Mile Valley, and it is going to be a fresh take on the power of hope in the difficult seasons of life. It's also going to be a pretty powerful resource that gives you the ability to watch some teaching videos that I got to record in Death Valley. So keep your eyes and your ears peeled for that launch that is... God willing, going to be in 2022 at the latest. So would you please do me a favor and leave a review for this podcast that allows other people to find this on their own and always appreciate you sharing specific episodes with friends and just sharing it on your socials, letting other people know so that the people that God has thought of to reach through this podcast get reached in his time. I appreciate you much. I'm grateful for every single second that you've walked with me through this season. And lastly, but never, ever leastly, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you and may his face shine forever brightly upon you. Oh, yeah.